0: hello everybody welcome back to three eye turns happy new year man those of us wishing that 2021 is going to be different from 2020 kind of got a rude awakening last week huh I mean, I guess it's kind of silly to think that just because the calendar flips over that the human condition would change. But, you know, I've been saying for several podcasts that this is going to be a project of 30 years to get these United States into a place where we've made things meaningfully better. But uh, as far as cooling off the red hot tensions that have built up recently, I really don't know what it's going to take to dissipate that, especially since a lot of the leading Republicans seem hell bent even a week later, on keeping those fires stoked. Of course, many of those same Republicans are the first to say we should just move on and start healing from the especially vicious rhetoric and governance that's happened under the Trump administration that any attempt to hold people accountable for the recent past is only going to make things worse. So I think we need to talk about what happened last week and the chaos at the Capitol. But first, a few brief show notes I am truly sorry for the delay in this podcast. Uh, it's it's all my fault. Uh, Jim is blameless. Um, I've, I've done him dirty by putting him behind the the, the eight ball again, uh, getting his podcast turned around as quick as he can. This podcast actually started um, as a pretty long New Year's resolution for what Three Right Turns is going to be doing in 2021. And if you make it to the end of this podcast, I think you're going to find a very short, abbreviated version of that Podcast, but you know, January sixth happened, and the podcast went through a lot of changes as events unfolded and new information kept coming to light. I did like a three-hour live stream the night of. Uh, you can see that on youtubecom swizzbold where I was going over the news and talking with people, trying to figure out the hell was going on. Um, but yeah, this, this outline kept evolving and changing and I'm recording, uh, I'm sure a few days before this is going to be released. Uh, hopefully things won't change too much. Things seem to have stabilized, but we're going to talk about that. And also, uh, the good news about the, the delay is that I've not been totally idle these past few weeks. In fact, I've got two complete whole ass ready to go three right turns already recorded and in the can. One's a debate about gun control that I had with my new buddy, Aiden, from the Socialism Done Left uh, Twitch and YouTube channel. You know, we talked a few episodes ago about court rebalancing, and I continue to be really impressed with Aiden's evidentiary and empirical approach to leftist politics. An approach that I've really found lacking in a lot of online progressive discourse is a lot very high on Reddit rhetoric and theory, uh, sometimes light on on fact. And I want to find more people like him and have uh, them network together and work together, because I think we can make a lot of headway and come up with a lot of great lines of argument and reason, all backed by studies and data and our political system and our politics in general are going to be a lot better for it. I've also recorded a conversation with a conservative uh, gentleman that's kind of wobbling a bit towards the left, and I think it's going to be a great example of how you can approach people like that. Give them a fair hearing, find the things that trouble them, find the things that appeal to them, and, and win them over. You know, not not all the way. That's too much to ask, but but a little bit. Nudge them a little bit. And I think there's a lot of conservatives that are going to be essentially politically homeless over the next few months and years and And I want to be there. To help them find their forever homes left of center uh, i think we can do that i think we have the arguments we have the policies that will help people and if you want the same thing uh, be sure to give that podcast a listen. Those, like I said, two are ready to go. I'm not sure what order they'll come out, or even if they'll come out consecutively, because you know, also I have a lot of deep dive stuff I want to get into. But I've got breathing room, so if I run out of time on an outline, I can just uh, put one of these things out and it's ready to go. That's great. I love being ahead of the game. Finally, I had another lengthy conversation with the real publican over the break, uh, over on movingforwardpod.com about our political philosophies, uh, effective messaging. Uh, how we can work together. And I always have a great time talking with Rio, even if occasionally we walk away frustrated from the conversation. Uh, I always learn a little more about how to hone my arguments. I think I score a few points each time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm sure he feels the same. Hell, he's probably right. Uh, but go over there and check that out. And if you have suggestions for future topics that you'd like me and Rio to spar over, uh, send those on to three right turns at I'm sorry, three RT at swissbold dot com. That's movingforwardpod.com. Again, I'm one of a, the rotating list of hosts. There's a couple of hosts over there that, that I've heard that are kind of impressive. I want to bring back on our show. We've got so much stuff in 2021. Oh, my God. Anyway, but but enough about the past and the future of podcasts. I want to talk about last week, and I want to talk about right now. A lot of people I've seen, especially on the right, have equiv- equivocated or drawn equivalences to the violence that happened on january 6th with some of the violence we saw during the summer's black lives matter protests you know sure trump's people stormed and occupied the capital at washington dc sure the black lives matter folks burnt down a police station a Wendy's, a target and tried on multiple occasions to set a courthouse on fire in portland But what went down at the Capitol, they say, is actually small potatoes compared to what happened across the country among the progressive, race baiting, socialist, commie, Antifa, super soldier, terrorist left. And, you know, I have a big problem with that. Previously, when we've discussed the Black Lives Matter movement, a quote by Martin Luther King Jr., who happy birthday next week, by the way. Uh, but, But one of his quotes was used that riots are the language of the unheard. And what that means is when citizens have tried to get their political leaders and society itself to hear them and they fail consistently, that violence born out of frustration is an inevitable result. Doesn't have to be planned. It can be consistently and correctly repudiated by the leaders of a movement. But until the source of the injustice is addressed, the tensions will continue to rise and eventually boil over. I've argued in previous podcasts that that's precisely what happened in many occasions this summer. You had back-to-back-to-back murders of unarmed black people by the state. Some, like the George Floyd killing, seem particularly cruel and cold-blooded and others like the brianna taylor killing brought to light a lot of long-standing issues with our war on drugs and how we prosecute things issues that have been going on for decades in terms of sloppy police work unchecked police power and callous disregard for the value of lives especially black lives compound this issue with the fact that we've been struggling with many of these issues for generations quite literally for centuries and for every major test that america has faced Black folks have shown up and lended their sweat, their labor, and often their blood from the American Revolution, the Civil War, both world wars, right up to the 2020 election. Black people have been instrumental in saving America from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and yet in repayment. This country has used every legal means to continue their oppression across all economic, political and social battle lines. Black communities that have found ways to accumulate peace and prosperity have been attacked by mobs, firebombed, terrorized, as in the case of the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre of 1921. Black folks have been prevented from acquiring decent housing and building wealth through discriminating lending and realty practices such as blockbusting and redlining. They've been segregated, marginalized, ignored. And we've talked about this stuff before, most notably in the three right turn 16, walking in the snow. And we're going to be talking about it more in the future. But the bottom line is the steady assault on the wealth, dignity and well-being of African-Americans has resulted in black wealth, political power and even life expectancy to lag far behind the baseline of white Americans. All the while, the rates of criminal convictions and incarceration of these folks soar. And there are just multitudes of studies and statistics that bear these facts out. And we've we've reviewed those in a lot of podcasts. There are facts and figures that all point to the same thing, but like it or not, there's a culture of white supremacy that still exists here in America. And there are people and institutions that are willing to fight like mad to keep it that way. And when they show up with allies to peacefully ask for redress for these grievances, they're met with disproportionate folks. Millions of voices going unheard. And we all saw the pictures from this summer of militarized cops turning peaceful protests into riots with mass use of physical force, including gas and rubber bullets. We saw elderly people pushed to the ground, suffering brain damage, mothers beaten and maced, veterans beaten and maced, crowds desperately trying to get away from the police to try to disperse. But they can't because they're trapped against buildings and embankments. They call that process kettling where they were then gassed and beaten in mass, arrested by the hundreds, masked nameless government agents, infiltrated groups, snatched people off the streets and unmarked vehicles. People that showed up to protest at the nation's capital in the name of George and Brianna were met with thousands of soldiers in battle fatigues. People were gassed and beaten just so the president could take a picture of himself posing with the Bible, a book, Like himself and 99.9999% of his followers have never read. And in stark relief to this, we have what happened on January 6th. There have not been, to put it mildly, generations of stolen elections that these folks have had to contend with. There has not been a multi-generational struggle for the value of white lives to be recognized that they were trying to overcome. There's not been one stolen election that they've had to contend with. The closest thing that we've had to a stolen election was back in 2000 and was decided in the conservatives favor. What they did was allow opportunistic grifters in their party to manipulate them into thinking that they've been oppressed and silenced because they've been asked to wear masks and because we've had a huge increase in mail-in voting due to the ongoing pandemic that they made worse and they went from zero to insurrection in a single day in a matter of hours. It wasn't a tent standoff that lasted for days until cops in full riot gear started blasting them with gas and bullets because somebody threw a water bottle at them. They were there to storm the Capitol. They had merch printed up to that effect Their president said, Come on down to the Capitol on January 6th. It's going to be wild, he said. Well, we all saw what happened last summer. We saw the pictures, we saw the video, and we saw what happened here. A cop was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher and an American flag. These people who said that Colin Kaepernick disrespected the American flag by kneeling before a football game, used the American flag to beat down a peace officer. I saw another one screaming for help as he's being crushed against a door he was trying to hold, blood running from his mouth. That day, Blue Lives Matter met all cops are bastards, I guess, and we saw which side won. Adding insult to injury, it seems from the footage that I've seen, And we reviewed some of this on the live stream I talked about, that the police, even representatives at the Capitol, were sympathetic to the rioters, possibly even in on it. Police were seen to take down barricades and even wave the mob on in deeper into the Capitol. Police were seen taking selfies with the protesters, protesters, the rioters, the seditionists. Disturbing reports have circulated that some key figures in the riot, including prominent leaders of fascist groups like the Proud Boys, were given private tours of the Capitol just the day before. There has been no public tours of the Capitol this entire year because of the fucking pandemic. What's going on here? Footage just came out this week of a lady with a bullhorn directing rioters where to go, which windows to smash, what passages to take to get the key congressional members' offices. Some representatives... Government officials were live tweeting Nancy Pelosi's location throughout the ordeal. And the police that were trying to hold the line were unprepared, undermanned and overrun. Calls for the National Guard to be deployed went unheard for hours. During this time, several of the rioters who were armed, had sidearms, pistols, Armed with the kind of zip tie restraints used for makeshift handcuffs and restraints, were seeing making their way through the building, apparently searching for hostages to take or government officials to execute. They had scaffolds with nooses outside. Why was this happening? Because for months leading up to the election and for months after, Republican leaders were whipping these people up, telling them that the election will be stolen, telling them that there was no legitimate way that they could possibly lose. When reality, the shoe was on the other foot. we talked about how hard it is for Democrats to win the election, how we had to have historic turnout to win the election. And we did. But when the election came, they continued to lie to them, saying there were hundreds of thousands, millions of pieces of evidence that pointed to election fraud when there was nearly zero. There's always some election fraud. There's always a few dozen people. Hilariously, in Pennsylvania, almost all Republican. Almost all Republican fraud. But there's certainly nothing like the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of votes needed across multiple states to overturn the election. Multiple independent sovereign states that had their elections controlled by Republican state apparatus to boot. They told their supporters to fight like hell, that their country would be stolen if they didn't, that this was another 1776 moment. Instead of telling their supporters the truth, over a 100 Republican representatives and at least a dozen senators fought the lost election tooth and nail, used every legal and even illegal tactic to delay and resist the peaceful transfer of power to the Biden administration. They lost every single case they brought to court, save one, a minor victory that granted a stay of counting certain disputed ballots in a single state that was already in place. They weren't counting. They were already abiding by the terms of the stay. When it was issued, these people all thought that the Black Lives Matter protests were all horseshit, made up, paid for George Soros, AstraTurf fake news events, and that their event was the real deal, a true patriot affair, when in fact, again, the truth was almost the exact opposite. I don't know if we need to revise Dr. King's words about the voices of the unheard, or if this is the exception to prove the rule, or what. What do you do if people are heard? If they have their own massive media organizations, their own newspapers and TV channels, they control two and a half branches of the government. They control 30 out of 50 state houses. That number going up, by the way, after the supposedly rigged election, where they also gained a lot of ground back in the House. Great job rigging the election, Democrats. When they've lost 65 of these court cases alleging a fraudulent election, many brought before extremely right wing appointed by Trump justices. When Trump has appointed a third of the Supreme Court and 25% of all federal judges in just four years, when there's been thousands of think pieces written by everyone from the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times trying to figure out why these people are so damn angry, why they're so fearful. What do you do when these people say they're unheard? On the day the votes would be certified, a formality that I first observed 20 years ago, when Al Gore himself, the loser of that election in 2000, by a margin of some 500 votes, really hinky shit, by the way. I lived through that gaveled down performative objections to some electors. But on this day representatives objected they had senatorial support they had it in writing hours long debates were held for three separate states two after violence had already occurred a lasting into the wee hours of the night and i watched it all because i wasn't sure what was going to happen and they did all this because trump told them that mike pence could single-handedly turn the election for them Just a short distance away, Trump riled up his massive crowd, again telling them to fight, to make their politicians do the impossible, the illegal, the subversion of democracy. His surrogates, like Rudy Giuliani, suggested to the crowd that what we needed was trial by combat. And then he told them to march, and we saw what happened. At the darkest part of this insurgency, these domestic terrorists were ready to breach the last line of defense that Secret Service and other federal agents were holding by a thread. It was like something out of a zombie apocalypse movie armed men and women with guns trying to hold a doorway that had been barricaded by filing cabinets, desks, chairs, anything they had on hand as the last few elected officials, including the vice president, their savior, were being evacuated. And a woman got shot in the throat. I watched this video at least a dozen times. It was unbelievable. Her climbing through that shattered window, the screamed warnings, the single shot, her falling back. She's wearing a Trump MAGA flag, like some kind of fucking superhero cape. She died surrounded by neo-Nazis, wearing gear bearing anti-Semitic slogans like Camp Auschwitz. And it's just so a bizarre and absurd and surreal. And then I saw some things I I, I can, couldn't believe And a quick detour. If you've ever been to a, a BLM protest, you'll know that one of the traditions is a solemn pronunciation uh, and saying of the names of the dead from recent years. George Floyd, say his name, Breonna Taylor, say her name and the crowd with bowed heads, sometimes with raised fists. They honored the dead in this way. Now, the Black Lives Matter folks did not start this the first time a black person was killed unjustly in this country by the state. They missed a boat on that by a few hundred years. They didn't do it on the hundredth or even the thousandth. They do it because it happens so often that we forget and the names become a statistic, like 4000 people dying every day of a pandemic. You just kind of get numb to it. Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, 12 year old Tamir Rice, Michael Brown. Tanisha Anderson. Some of these names you might recognize, some you might not, but that's the point of the ceremony. The point of it is it goes on and on and on until the sheer number of the names has a weight, a physical weight that kind of hits you. And this woman that was shot to death, storming the barricades, this this Ashley Babbitt, they were pulling this say her name shit, literally the first death that they incurred that very night. I saw people pulling this say her name stuff with her. I think that's pretty fucked up. And if that's not fucked up enough. You had a mini civil war in Maga land between the say her name folks and the folks saying that every single buffalo head wearing fucker and cape wearing jerk off was actually an Antifa operative conducting a false flag operation to discredit the Maga movement. This theory was advanced by notorious white supremacist and lazy town villain Matt Gates, representative of the great state of Florida on the floor of the house where the traitors to this country bore the Confederate flag and shed blood just hours before. On September 25th, 2017, 200 people in wheelchairs were arrested, peacefully protesting inside and at the Capitol building during a hearing about health care. 218 people in wheelchairs 133 peaceful lbgt activists were arrested on october 8 2019 demonstrating outside the supreme court 147 protesters were arrested on january 10th 2020 demonstrating against a lack of action on climate change but you want to rob steal perhaps execute government officials at the capitol come on through and go in peace now i've been told these people are poor they're desperate. They're economically stressed. And that's been the conclusion of a lot of these aforementioned think pieces that I talked about. But I'm calling bullshit. It's not that poor people aren't Trump fans. Because I live in Southern Ohio. I know that's not true. I've seen trailers festooned with enough Trump flags that the fabric alone is probably worth more than the dwelling. But you start looking into these people that show up at Trump rallies. you know, Poor people don't drive $70,000 trucks. Poor people don't own boats that they take to massive flotillas. Ashley Babbitt owned a pool supply company. She was not economically depressed. As more and more people have been identified in this attack, there's been a lot of notable people. And they include a real estate agent, a marketing company CEO, an insurance company's general counsel, a woman who flew in on a private jet. I'm not saying there's not poor and disadvantaged people there, too. I'm sure there were. I'm saying that economic factors are not the leading reason people are pro-Trump. I'm saying that when you look at the ringleaders and the prominent people egging them on, you're not looking at voiceless people that have no recourse. You're looking at outraged people who are not used to being told no. Now, to be fair, while not many arrests were made that day, these people did such a good job of documenting their treason, many of them, of course, refusing to wear a mask of any sort, that federal agents have been making up for the lack of arrest the day of. Many of these people were shocked to find out that they were not allowed to fly home after they stormed the Capitol. They had meltdowns in airports and in the media. It's abundantly clear from the photos of people smiling as they looted the Capitol that the idea that they might be held accountable for these actions never even crossed their minds. Hell no. They were going to take the people's house, hold the people's house, win the day, save the country, be heroes. This all has to be thoroughly investigated. Every single one of these people needs to be held accountable or we're going to reap a hundred times this in the future. This summer, people occupied state houses with loaded guns. Plans were made to kidnap governors and other public officials in Texas. Trump supporters again driving around trucks that cost more than some people's homes, attempted to ram the Biden campaign's bus off the road. This has been building and building for months, and it's not going to go away all by itself. It could. Republicans could start telling their people the damn truth, that they misrepresented the facts, that they thought they were playing political hardball, but it got away from them, that they regret their lies. They repudiate the violence and urge their supporters to stand down. And not in the half ass way that Trump's been doing it, where it's like, I love you people and you shouldn't do the violence, but, you know, fight, we're going to lose our country. Not many are doing that. Some are, to their credit. Half of the senators that supported blocking the election certificate withdrew their objections after seeing the violence personally threaten their own safety. Ten Republicans broke party lines and joined the Democrats in making Trump the first ever U.S. president to be impeached twice including fellow Buckeye and former Indianapolis Colt Anthony Gonzalez. And good, good for them. We need 10 times as many people that support Trump and continue to describe the election as stolen and the treason taking place in our capital as patriots need to be made politically radioactive, untouchable. And I promise you this, anytime any one of these 120 Republican representatives or 12 senators' names are mentioned on this podcast, I'm going to identify them as seditionists and traitors. Like, for example, Ted Cruz, traitor, known insurrectionist Josh Hawley, Nazi fanboy seditionist Madison Hawthorne, who they're saying showed up at the Capitol armed on January 6th. That'll be an interesting thing to find out. That seems like it's something to be investigated. Now, you remember... Mr. Hawthorne, right? I talked about him just a few episodes ago. How did I know that he'd be a problem for this country? How could I possibly have known this QAnon dipshit was going to be a traitor from day one? Was it because he was Republican? Nope. It's because he said his dream vacation was when he went to visit Adolf Hitler's summer retreat. Confederate conspirator Marjorie Taylor Greene. You see how this works. I mean, it's just my opinion that they're traitors to the country. It hasn't been proven in a court of law or anything, but it should be. They all acted to willfully and knowingly subvert the lawful democratic process in this country. What the hell else should I call them? Now, I want to deal with some other bad takes. I heard a lot of this isn't who we are. Bullshit. We need to stop saying this. It might not be who I am. It might not be who you are, but it's most definitely who we are. And we need to acknowledge this. The first step in getting better is to admit that you have a problem. For too many years, we've been trying to pretend like that we live in some post-racial society, that we fixed all of the country's problems 50 years ago. It's just a few bad apples. We all want the same things deep down. This is just not true. It can be, but it's not true right now. And I'm running out of patience for even well-meaning politicians and journalists trotting it out whenever the next shocking thing happens, whenever next atrocity is committed. You want to reconcile? Fine. I want to reconcile, but we need truth and reconciliation. And this is not who we are is not the truth. It needs to be confronted head on. Another bad take. We need a bunch of new laws to make all of this seditious, traitorous activity extra, super duper illegal. What the hell? You want Patriot Act 2.0 over this? Everything these guys and gals did is already super duper illegal. Throw the book at them. Trump already passed an order to make vandalism and occupation of federal property an automatic 10-year felony gleefully thinking of how we could use this against black lives matter protesters and antifa counter protesters prosecute these guys under that then rescind it i mean if you think you can further erode our civil liberties to extra stick it to some deluded trump fanatics and that this won't be used against the left and the democrats in the immediate future you're crazy we already have a double standard Many folks have said that this MAGA uprising had been majority black. They'd have rolled over them with tanks, Tiananmen Square style. And they'd been Muslim. They'd been sniped from over a dozen rooftops before their feet even touched the Capitol steps. More laws aren't going to fix this double standard. It's something that we have to confront. And we have the laws to hold these people accountable on the books. Let's do it. And another really bad look I saw coming from the left was something along the lines of, ooh, I wish we had some of that gumption on our side. Think how much our side could accomplish if we'd be willing to mix it up a little. If we'd be willing to storm the Capitol, put our muddy boots up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Now, this wasn't the majority of even the left online of even the the, the crazy Twitter online, much less in the quote unquote real world, but it was significant. It was very disappointing. Some of the people I saw advancing these arguments, whether they're serious or joking, they should know better. And I was extremely disappointed in all of it that I saw. It's just an insane take. Think of how much we could accomplish for people. If we abandoned democracy and resort to violence, terror and lawlessness, the opposite of crazy is still crazy guys. First of all, as I mentioned, I'm a card-carrying member of the Democratic Socialist of America. You know what the most important word in that organization is to me? Democratic. There has never, ever, ever been a successful socialist revolution in a liberal democracy, ever. It's debatable whether there's ever been a successful socialist revolution, period. You want to try and be the first one? Count me out. I guess we're going to be on the opposite sides of the barricades if it comes to that. No way. No sale. It's not going to happen. On the other hand, there have been very many successful social democracies, including these United States of America. There's currently many more successful than us. And I argue for adopting a lot of these successful policies. And hell, maybe we can try implementing a few ourselves. Why not? But these have to be passed through a democratic process. You can play political hardball. We can absolutely play ruthless politics when necessary. But if your plan is going to be some form of storming and holding the capital, you're only going to lose and set back leftist politics for several generations. Political violence is always bad optics. We saw this with Black Lives Matter. You had the initial outrage over the deaths, rightly so, widespread support, which cooled off somewhat when violence was able to be framed as initiated by the protesters themselves. Especially when that violence seems to be indiscriminate, aimed at innocent business owners, members of the surrounding communities. Now, some degree of political violence is unavoidable in the pursuit of just goals. You know, all that language of the unheard. We can understand and accept it should never endorse or encourage it. Violence and revolution should be the warning of inevitability for the ruling class to heed. That's what all this eat the rich stuff started off as. It's not a Twitter slogan. It's not a fucking policy proposal. It's a statement of fact like touch a hot stove, get burnt. If the wealthy do not see fit to take care of the many more numerous poor and they let things get bad enough and the situation desperate, it's just the thing that happens. It's not something we should encourage or root for. Nobody roots for people to touch hot stoves because it's not a mystery of what's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to be pain for all involved. The radical conservatives are finding this out the hard way, and I hope we take a lesson from it. Their heroes of last week are going to be the disgraced, convicted felons of the near future. And the political cost has already been high, and we haven't even really started calculating it. A poll came out just today that showed that Trump has lost 10 points of support across the board and gained 10 points of disapproval since the Capitol storming. Now, you could argue that that should be higher is his disapproval level. But this is the single biggest hit to his reputation since the initial days of the Black Lives Matter protest. Political violence is not an effective way to pass good policy. Encouraging it is immoral and reprehensible. And if nothing else, it's terrible optics. It's a surefire way to unite all people of good sense, decency and goodwill against you. Now, a lot of people have asked me, uh, when can we relax? When is this going to be over? Well, I mean, what do you mean? Do you mean the imminent threat to our democracy? Because I do think that's over. They took their shot. They took several shots. Our institutions held the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the military leadership of the United States, made a unified statement uh, several evenings ago, uh, some choice quotes. The American people have trusted the armed forces of the United States to protect them and our Constitution for almost 250 years. As we've done throughout our history, the U.S. military will obey lawful orders from civilian leadership, support civil authorities to protect lives and property, ensure public safety in accordance with the law, and remain fully committed to protecting and defending the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic any act to disrupt the constitutional process is not only against our traditions, values and oaths, it is against the law. On January 20th, 2021, in accordance with the constitution, confirmed by the states and the courts, certified by Congress, President-elect Biden will be inaugurated and will become our 46th commander in chief. And that's it. That's ball game. The coup is already failed. You know, the sites that I've encouraged you people to join, like protect the results and choose democracy. They're all canceling their events past January 20th because it's over. We, the people can stand down. The Capitol is, and will be swarming with troops loyal to the lawfully elected government of the United States. I'm not saying nobody's going to try something, but if they do, they're going to be met with the full might of this nation's military. It's not what I want. It's going to be tragic if conservative leaders continue to whip their followers up for some kind of last stand. But if they do, it's absolutely going to be put down. Now, when can we really relax? When will we no longer have to worry about bombings in our cities, violence in our state capitals? I honestly don't know. We're going to have to wait and see what happens in the next days, weeks and months But I have a good idea what the path forward of cooling tensions is going to be. So let's talk about it. We have less than a week left in a Trump regime here in America. If he's successfully impeached either now or in the near future, he's no doubt going to be barred from ever holding office again. And if he's not, he's 74 years old and all human beings are eventually term limited by life itself. Trump's eventually going to be put in the rearview mirror of this country. One of the Biden administration's first responsibilities is going to be to hasten this. And that means holding Trump, his cronies, his enablers, and all of his supporters who have resorted to violence and lawlessness accountable for their actions. They have to be held accountable. And you're already hearing cries. We talked about this in the beginning of the podcast from Republicans in Congress that we need to move on. We need to heal as a country. The problem is we've been hearing this same sad song and employing this failed strategy since at least the days of Nixon. And a strategy has kept us from healing. And worse, it just launders and recycles the bad apples from previous administrations. This is not a political witch hunt. Four Americans died in the attack on Benghazi. And this led to years of investigations and congressional hearings, the last of which was closed on December 2016 just a month after trump was elected that's a political witch hunt despite widespread accusations of scandal cover-up and lying and total cooperation by the obama officials including two separate lengthy depositions in person by hillary clinton there was no evidence to substantiate any of these claims none of the hearings and investigations led to any indictments much less convictions That was a political witch hunt and the Republicans pursued it with glee. Four people died in Benghazi. Five people died in the capital just last week. 400,000 Americans will have lost their lives due to the negligent handling of the COVID-19 pandemic, if not by the time you're hearing this, but certainly by the time of the inauguration. We absolutely have to investigate those responsible for both of these disasters and convict people that broke laws and violated the public's trust. Not just the people that did the storming, but the politicians who enabled them and perhaps helped support, plan, and coordinate the attack. It has to be investigated. The corrupt Nixon administration begat Watergate and convicted Trump felon Roger Stone, who Trump has, of course, pardoned. The corrupt Reagan administration begat Iran Contra and William Barr who advised President Bush to pardon the six officials directly responsible for that scandal. Barr, of course, became Trump's attorney general, who effectively served as the president's personal lawyer, shielding him and protecting him from any consequences of his lawlessness and greed. If we just turn the page on this president who incited riots, on congresspeople who potentially gave recon intelligence to the rioters who could have been looking to take government officials hostage, perhaps execute them, what the hell will this be got in the future? On the other hand, open and fair public hearings and trials of those responsible will set a precedent. That people who subvert our democracy, who spread lies, who encourage and employ violence, they're going to fail and their reward will be ruin. They will face shame and significant time in prison. They'll likely be unemployable. The more facts that come out, the more we insist to our friends and family what truth and justice is, force them to accept these facts or be shut out of polite society. The more we treat continued Trump support like we used to treat the Klan and the Nazis in this country, the more peaceful our civilian life will become. We cannot keep hitting snooze on this. Yes, it will make people angry. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, it is a distraction from the important work of helping Americans and saving our environment. But it's got to be done. It's my expectation for the rest of my life that serious politicians are going to have to walk and chew gum and juggle chainsaws simultaneously. We're in a time of crisis along multiple fronts. The time where we had the luxury of dealing with one at a time is long past. So the Biden administration absolutely has to do that, has to have the investigations, has to do the prosecuting. But there's also the matter of the chewing gum and the chainsaws, too. So what should the Democrats primary objectives be in the two first two years? Uh, I have a few ideas. Healthcare. The Biden administration absolutely has to get something done on healthcare in this country, and there has to be some sort of public option at the end of this that allows any citizen that wants it to sign up for some sort of program similar to Medicare. It's the bare minimum. This has to get done. Make Republican senators filibuster if that's what they want to do or pass it through the reconciliation process. I've I've read a bunch of proposals of how you could get the public option through reconciliation. About half say you can, half say you couldn't. But a lot of the ones that say you couldn't essentially say that, yeah, you probably can, but it's going to really piss off Republicans and it might bite us in the ass later. I'm ready to piss off Republicans. I'm ready to have this bite us in the ass later. I think it's time to piss them off. And you know what? Dare them to bite us in the ass. Obamacare, as flawed as it was, proved to be bulletproof, even Republicans trying for two years to overturn it with the control of all branches of Congress. Supreme court might try to smack it down, but you know what? Let them. I think this is such a no brainer. It's going to be so popular once it gets traction that anyone that gets in the way is going to get ran over. We talked a few episodes about plausible ways to rebalance the court in our favor. If they do try to stand in our way right now, like we discussed candidly, they're not very popular, but the Supremes want to engage in judicial activism, deprive women and minority of rights, keep people from getting vital support from the government. that will change and you know what you like paying for your insurance great keep doing so you've got excellent coverage through your work good for you companies want to offer gap insurance uh gap coverage where you have the public option as a base and you can add supplemental insurance on top to get bells and whistles and 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 extra care sure knock yourself out but we cannot continue to live in a society where people won't take an ambulance because they don't want to pay five thousand dollars for one where people roll the dice on lumps in their neck because they don't want to saddle their families with potentially millions of dollars of medical debt where people are afraid to switch jobs because who knows what will happen to their insurance where people can't afford insurance and hundred year old medications like insulin, insulin, a treatment that was created back in 1922, people pay 500 to thousand dollars a month for it. And if they don't, they die. Who wants to spend hours of research pouring over bronze, silver, and gold plans to figure out which one you need, what will you can afford only have those prices and coverages change or not turn out to be what you thought they would be. It's ridiculous. Now, how would we pay for such a scheme? I don't fucking care. I did a deep dive for Medicare for all on uh, three right turns eight how I stopped worrying and learned to love the berm. I understand that Medicare for all is too aggressive for some people. The Biden's personally against it. Don't want to ban private insurance. I get it. That's okay. There's a hundred different ways we can do this. Look at Canada, Australia, the United Kingdom, Germany, Norway, Spain, Japan, South Korea, or any of by my count, 68 other countries that are implementing some form of universal healthcare. We are literally the only developed country in the whole world that is Laboring under the weight of private insurance. We can absolutely afford to do this. Biden has to, at minimum, deliver a public option in the next two years. Another thing that needs to happen in the next two years is making some movement on the racial justice movements that have been gaining traction and steam in this past year. First, it's going to be awful nice to have a president that uses the bully pulpit of the office to explain educate and empathize rather than fear monger lie and obfuscate on these issues and i think that's going to help a lot i absolutely do biden said during his victory speech when this campaign was at its lowest the african-american community stood up for me they've always had my back and i'll have yours Well, it's time to step up and make good on those promises. Not only is it the right thing to do and long overdue to boot, but quite frankly, the Democratic Party would not be viable without its 90 plus percent support from black folk. And as I've argued in previous podcasts, if black people feel like the Democrats keep using them for their support and then give them excuses when their hard work and organizing has paid off in Democratic victories, they're going to start losing that support. We just talked about how this game of politics in America is just game of razor thin margins. We won the Senate back in Georgia with less than two percent margin. Biden can't just nominate a diverse group of people for his cabinet. That's great. Representation is important, but we need bold policies too. Biden needs to take a leadership role in getting a new and updated Voting Rights Act through Congress. We've seen the electoral carnage in the years since the Supreme Court struck down key provisions that have let southern states start playing their old dirty tricks and disenfranchising minority populations. Again, this electoral game is a game of razor thin margins right now. We can't let them get away with just wiping out hundreds of thousands of voter registrations and closing hundreds of polling locations. Biden said he's going to decriminalize pot nationally. Do it. Do it day one. Add expungement of nonviolent offenders records on top of it. This is incredibly popular, bipartisanly popular, and will disproportionately help African-Americans because our current insane war on drug disproportionately targets black people. There are several... Popular proposals to update the Fair Housing Act include source of income as something you can't discriminate on. Right now, a lot of lower income families are shut out of a lot of communities because landlords won't accept housing vouchers as forms of payment. Eliminating this is going to help all low income families. But again, since these policies disproportionately discriminate against minorities, it's going to help them the most. And certainly there are limits to what Biden and other national level Democrats can do when it comes to policing, because, you know, a lot of policing happens at the state and more importantly, the city level. But Biden can encourage studies, order the FBI to continue tracking police shootings in a centralized and organized fashion so we can get better data on them, better understand the situation, preferentially give federal funds to communities to encourage de-escalation training, uh, use of body cameras, diverting funds away from enforcement and towards social work. We can do all these things in the next two years. Finally, another thing that needs to happen is serious structural reforms on the way our government operates. We have to start replacing the norms that operate based on principles like good faith, reciprocity and compromise with actual rules and laws. You break norms and the worst that can happen to you is people furrow their brows. Sure, they furrow those brows deep enough. You can start to lose elections. But I think we've all found out in the past four years Those frowns can get pretty frowny and nobody really cares. You break a law, you can get fined, you can be jailed, you can lose public office. So I want Biden to take leadership on codifying these norms into rules. He spent a lifetime in the Senate. He knows where all the bodies are buried. He knows where the landmines are placed. He knows the arms to twist. He knows the carrots. He knows the sticks. One obvious reform would be to do away with the debt ceiling. You know that that annual uh, dog and pony show uh, where one side of the government takes the other hostage and uh, makes them meet the demands or the country goes bankrupt or some stupid shit. Get rid of that. It causes so much anxiety and headaches. It's a stupid duplicate process. Congress has already approved the spending. It just allows for these last minute horseshit theatrics. Another thing we need to do is aggressively expand statehood in the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico. Now, this isn't stacking the deck in favor of the Democrats, as it's popularly portrayed. It's trying to return somewhat the balance of power. Right now, Republicans enjoy a 2.9 percent electoral advantage in the Senate. Now, what this means is that there's a gap between the party that the nation prefers in terms of president's. The only nationwide office that we have and what the nation prefers in terms of senators. And it's just under three percent. I'm going to be doing a deep dive into these topics in future shows because it's important to understand. But right now, what you need to know is there are several structural problems in the way senators and representatives are proportioned that make it much harder for Democrats to get elected, even if that's the preference for the state. And three percent might not sound like much, but you think back at the last few close Senate elections, think about the Georgia election and think about what those margins were. Why are we giving Republicans a 3% advantage before the first vote for senators is even cast? Now, if you add two senators by making Washington, D.C. a state, that advantage drops to 1.6% towards the Republicans. If you add Puerto Rico, it drops to 1.4%. If Democrats go hog wild and made states of D.C., Puerto Rico, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Guam, the American Samoas, the Mariana Islands, we finally get the advantage and we can take this. Actually, it whittles that advantage down to 0.2%. Even with every possible territory turned into a state, with all the senators that that would imply, we cannot eliminate the Republican structural advantage in the Senate. Isn't that amazing? Now, this is going to be framed as a power grab by the Democrats when it's literally an attempt to tread water, even if you manage to make Guam into Samoa as a state, and that's never going to happen. The best we can do is shave a point and a half off their advantage, and it's still going to be a tough fight. We're going to talk more about these issues in detail, I promise, but if we shrink away from doing this, We run a real danger of not being able to win national elections in much the same way that we've lost a vast majority of state houses due to unfair gerrymandering. And aside from the politics of it, again, are we pro-democracy or not? Do the people of D.C. deserve representation or not? Do the people of Puerto Rico? Is the United States an old boys club that's closed for all time the new membership? Well, I guess it's time to find out. By the way, if you're hoping gerrymandering is going to get better in the future, we're out of luck. Supreme Court has signaled that unless Republicans come out and outright say in their redistricting schemes, we're gerrymandering the fuck out of these districts to disenfranchise black, Latino and other minority communities that they're not going to go in there and do anything about it. And unfortunately, we lost even more state houses to the Republicans in 2020 since the last redistricting in 2010. So that means that even more states are going to be heavily gerrymandered. It's just going to happen. The fight's going to get harder. But again, there's reasons to be hopeful. A list was circulated around lately of all the things that Democrats can pass with their slim 51 to 50 majority in the Senate and the majority they uh, enjoy in the House. And it's pretty impressive. Democrats, if they want to, can approve $2,000 checks, state and local aid, a boost to vaccine funding. They can create $3,000 per year child allowance for parents. Biden has signaled that he's going to do both of those things. Make housing a human right funded through federal vouchers, guaranteed paid maternal and sick leave. We lag so far behind the rest of the world in these terms. It's actually illegal in most states to separate a puppy from its mother within eight weeks and yet we routinely put back women to work within a week or two at most six it's sick and we need to change that and the democrats can we can achieve universal pre kindergarten for all three and four year olds massively expand childcare access that will help so many low-income families Spend $2 trillion investing in clean energy and climate research and development. Forgive the first $10,000 in student loans for all debtors. Make community college free for all. Reduce Medicare eligibility to age 60. Create a public option for everybody. A must a must pass initiative. Raise taxes on the rich $4 trillion to pay for it all. And effectively abolish the debt ceiling to pre- prevent that future GOP uh, hostage taking scenario we talked about. It's my understanding that not all of these can be accomplished because some of them have to go through that reconciliation process. I alluded to uh, this, this legislative process that allows limited bypass of the filibuster, which good Christ, we are going through so many obscure political terms. But if you don't know the filibuster is a procedural tactic and makes it so that the Senate can block most legislation that doesn't have a 60 senator supermajority behind it. But there's only so many things you can do reconciliation on, and we're going to have to make wise choices. And most of all, Build support for these things and our friends and our family and our community so we don't have to resort to tricks. We can just pass it out right with majorities. So prepare yourself. I think you should pick two or three of these previous topics that we just talked about, the ones that you're most passionate about. Master the arguments. Get two or three levels deep in the arguments and you're going to be good to go for all but the most well-prepared of your political opponents and i'm going to try to help you with that as we go forward in the new year i'm going to help you have the rhetoric and the data to back it up to help you fight this good fight in the marketplace of ideas and around our kitchen tables because that's what's going to take so that's what i'm looking forward to seeing in the first two years of the biden administration In 2022, we're going to have to defend the gains we made in the Senate. Hopefully add to them, add to that slim majority. But you know what? If Democrats don't manage to get several of these things through in the next two years, I think they're going to have a very, very hard time doing that. If they let Republicans run them around and win in the rhetorical battles, it's just going to be tough. I think a lot of people that are otherwise skeptical of Democratic leadership voted for them because Trump is terrible and he is, for mostly worse, the face of the Republican Party. But if they don't deliver, we're going to be in trouble because there's going to be a whole bunch of slick, clever fascist Republicans. that are going to try to jump into this power vacuum. We can make these arguments. We can flood congressional and senate offices with phone calls and letters we can contribute to the right campaigns we can check the right boxes in the ballots and we've done that for the last 4 years it's their turn to get stuff done now what about me in three right turns what does the future hold for us well it's january it's time for new year's resolutions here's a few of mine first i'm not going to argue on twitter ever again I'm going to share information, jokes, uh, share viewpoints. But too often I get embroiled in DM arguments and Twitter spats with people of bad faith. And it's just not an efficient use of my time. And even when it's with people of good faith, which is the vast majority of the time, why should I do a one V one on somebody when I can do it on this platform? or a live stream and have thousands of people be able to benefit from the information instead of just one. And that way, if I have another of these conversations, I don't have to do it again. I can just say, hey, here's the state of the argument. If you got something new, let me know. I'll bring you on the show and we'll add to it. It can be a library of things that kind of grow over time. I've had 50 podcasts worth of arguing with people in private areas of the Internet that does nobody any good, except maybe marginally the people that I'm arguing with. And it's frustrating. So if you want to argue with me, I'm here to argue, but we're going to do it in some kind of public fashion. And it's often going to mean going on a stream or a podcast to get it done, because that's the platform I have. I've made this offer lately to a lot of people. A lot of people chicken out. They say I'm going to try to trick them. I'm going to try to trap them. I'm going to use my podcaster experience to run circles around them. I'm going to embarrass them. And I say horseshit. What evidence does anyone have that I'm going to do that? Is that what my MO is? Is that what the brand that I'm building here? I have conservative friends and family that I love. I mean, yeah, if you're a hardcore Trump guy uh, uh, or gal, if you're down with this insurrection, you're going to have a bad time. I probably won't even bother to talk with you because I think you're too far gone. I can't logic you out a situation that you didn't logic yourself into. Only you can do that. And it can be done with a Google search. But again, I, I got conservative friends and family that I love. I can have an honest conversation with just about anybody. But if I'm going to take the time away from things that I enjoy spending time with my family, I'm going to do it somewhere where people can see it and benefit from the conversation. You remember that 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 podcast we did a, a, a while back where I talk about the secret of like finding things out, what is true, what's not true. Warlocks from the ninth circle of hell go back in the, the feed to, to see it. The only way a private citizen has to determine the truth of things is to hear both sides out and see how each side argues and what facts they use. And crucially, which side runs out of successful arguments first. Well, I've been playing the first step or two of several arguments with like 30 people this past year. And instead, I want to get 30 levels deep into a conversation with fewer people publicly. So, again, the next time someone comes and asks what I think about those warlocks from hell, I don't have to do the whole spiel. I can just point to a YouTube archive or a podcast feed and say, hey, there, there, there it is. Go get it. I don't have to spend an hour going through step one through three with you again. And that can help me because if I point you to the video and you can then take the conversation further, you can come back and say, "Ah, you didn't think about this point or that point. Hell, you might teach me something. You're going to help me sharpen my arguments, influence my way of thought. I mean, doofuses like Ben Shapiro have kind of made this facts and logic toxic in a lot of people's minds, especially in the left. But that's because he loves to have these step one through three conversations with inexperienced college students that he can run circles around. You only have to be two or three levels deep before you can, again, defeat most political opponents, because most people aren't that smart. They don't care that much. They're not that well educated. Guys like that hate nuanced, fact-based discussions, conversations, citing preponderance of data and facts and studies. A lot of demagogues do. And I'm increasingly seeing people on the left just wholesale discredit facts and logic or disparagingly refer to debate bro culture. I mean, people, empirical evidence is all we have in this life to make decisions on. You can make evidence-based arguments for social justice, economic justice, and we should. I don't think it's improper to bring emotion into the picture. Sure. Helping people connect facts to their own life experiences and appealing to our culture's shared values in terms of heroism, fairness, community. I do that all the time. It's something absolutely we should do. It's important. It's good work. But you can't just substitute your personal beliefs and anecdotal experiences for data. And if you catch me doing it, call me out. That's what I want to do here. Let's have these arguments. Send your beefs in to 3RT at swizzbold.com or on the Twitter or Reddit or wherever. But don't be surprised if the answer is an invitation to go on a podcast or if your response comes in the form of a segment on a live stream. I, I just can't keep doing this one on one stuff. It's, it's not effective. And I know there's a handful of people who have. I've expressed interest in talking to and I haven't followed up because I haven't had the time yet. And I I really apologize. I'm very sorry if I've left some of you guys hanging. My time is just really limited and I'm working with Jim and I'm working with Cecily to see what I can do to fit more into my schedule. Uh, But that's the problem I'm running into. Uh, and speaking of live streams, the first year of Swiss didn't really go how I thought it was going to go. I expected to do exclusively kind of these deep dive things into uh, problems that our country faces and possible solutions in terms of race, gender, economic health, all those kinds of things. I didn't really want this podcast to be a current event show. But, you know, it was an election year and there was a lot of current events eventing. You know, it, it, history kept happening. And I feel like 2020 had more history than the previous 10 years combined. It was it was crazy. We all felt it right. We're aged in dog years here. Once a 100 years pandemic, the largest civil rights protests we've seen in a generation. Trump attempted to coup. The Capitol got stormed. It's been a lot. It's been a lot of stuff. And, you know, that kind of content's really popular. I can't believe that more people consistently show up to hear uh, me talk about political things uh, on, a, on a politics stream than people show up to listen to me and Jim crack jokes about episodes of Star Trek over a bald move. That's wild to me. I did not expect that to happen, but it is happening. So there's going to be a lot more live streaming in Swizzbold's future. I got a few concepts I've, I've got in mind. Uh, I like to stream two or three times a week, regularly scheduled, maybe an hour or so in the morning, uh, maybe an evening show or two, just to go over the latest trends on Twitter and Reddit, talk to them, talk with the audience, uh, dive into current events, decide what we think about them. I can pull people into voice chat on Discord, have immediate responses and conversations, build a network of of people to, to challenge and support me. And that should help me get both more people and perspectives on and get more content out to everybody. Going forward, I liked three right turns to be about 50% material that Jim pulls out of these live streams and packages up into segments, uh the best parts, the most informative parts, the most interesting parts, the funniest parts. Uh for people to hear and about 50% the the traditional deep dives into policy and politics that that I've done, the things like the Medicare for All analysis. Um uh the Social Wealth Fund episode that I just did. Because I think I can do more with live research and extemporaneous speaking things that I'm good at and I enjoy doing than I can spend uh, doing 16 hours of detailed outlines for a podcast. You know, there's times and places for that. And I'm, I'm proud of the deep dives we did last year. Uh, we, we did a bunch uh, on the concept of whiteness, uh, the problems with first past to post voting, alternative electric uh, electoral schemes. And I'm not stopping doing those i just want to make clear that's not going to stop i just want to do more live streams and more packaging that content i think it's a successful strategy i've seen very popular streamers pull it off i think i have somewhat a unique point of view and a unique voice and i think we can pull this off here at swizzbold my other resolution is i want to set an example of how you can get involved in local politics uh this this is not me announcing i'm running. How many times have you heard me say that as important as national elections are, the real rubber meeting the road is at your state and local level, your local city council members, your police chiefs, your judges, your mayor. All these people have a much larger impact on your day to day life than the president does. The problem is I'm new at this. I I really don't know how to do this beyond just showing up for all elections, you know. Uh, Volunteering for campaigns, volunteering for campaigns. So I'm going to start figuring it out. I'm going to subscribe to my local newspaper. The Cincinnati Inquirer is not great. Most local newspapers aren't. But my knowledge of local politics is actually pretty poor. Uh, and I think this is going to help me uh, improve. I've been living in this town for eight years and I know less about what's going on here than I do still about Indianapolis. And I got to fix that. The second thing I want to do connected to the state and local level is get involved in the push for ranked choice voting. Maine adopted ranked choice voting for the presidential race and last year's election. Alaska just voted to adopt it starting in twenty twenty two. Why not Ohio? And if you don't know, I talked about the problems of a two-party system and how the scheme that we use almost universally here in America, 1st past the post voting works to enforce and maintain this two-party system. I did this all the way back in Three Right Turns 13. Don't blame me. I voted out. Uh, Check that out if you want to see what I'm going on about. But I looked around, and I found out there's already an organization formed to get traction for ranked choice voting right here in Ohio. It's called RankTheVoteOhio.org. It seems like a great ground floor opportunity to get involved. It looks like they got started just August of last year and they're still accepting volunteers for key positions in communications, technology, leadership. I'm looking at their needs and I feel like I could help out with several of them. I'm good with technology. I've been an IT director. I've been uh, a senior developer for for big companies. Um, I'm good at communications. I can I can help them out with this stuff. So next week, I'm going to sign up and we're going to see how it goes. I don't think ranked choice voting will solve all of our problems, but I do think it's going to help promote majority supported candidates. I think it's going to discourage negative campaigning, provide more choice for voters and encourage coalition building rather than purity testing candidates. And I think all those things are going to make our political climate much better. And I honestly don't know if ranked the vote Ohio is going to be a well run outfit. It's going to turn out to be a clown show, but you know what? We'll find out together. Cause I want to do as much of this activity online, talk about it online, have interviews with these folks and just really kind of figure it out together because what the hell private citizen Aaron is going to get involved. So that's it. That's how I see our country's immediate future. It's near term future. Uh, My plan for three right turns to talk about it all. Hopefully something in this podcast has excited or inspired you or firmed up your resolve to work towards this hippy dippy science fiction, star Trek utopia bullshit that I think we should strive for because you know, why not? You got to have goals. Why not set high? Why not aim for the moon? Why not aim for the stars? You know why, why aim low? And if I have inspired or uh, reassured or excited you about politics, I sure would appreciate your support for what we do here at Swizzbold, and you can help us out by going to Patreon.com/swizzbold and pledging a few bucks to us. You can get access to cool benefits like our monthly Patreon live stream with me, Jim, and Cecily. We just did one this 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 week it was really fun, really positive, encouraging. Had a lot of discussions about the direction our country is headed, and we now have just over a year's worth of those live streams archived uh, for you to enjoy at Patreon.com/swizzbold. So thanks in advance to everyone that decides to support us. And at this time, I'd like to thank our Fred level patrons by name, Laura Luthi, Slava Kosreliovich, Greg Rasp, James Taylor, Brian Rasmussen, Kira, Arvin Rao, Lisa Singleton, Jared Harrelman, Jordan Hoyt, George P. Burdell, Anoka Jung, Brandon DeVito, David Satterley, Angela Marano, and Mark Hahn. Thank you very much. We could not do this without all of your support. I'll be back in two more weeks for more three right turns. Please stay tuned to at on Twitter for future announcements on the upcoming live streams that we've been talking about and other upcoming podcasts and events. If you have feedback or comments for me, of course, leave those at three right turns. Uh, I'm sorry. Three RT three RT at Swiss please stay safe out there. I, I truly really believe that things are going to start getting better we're not going to fix everything tomorrow, uh, the next week or even the next year, but we can maybe start getting there. Uh, I'm going to keep working to see that they do and that things do continue to get better. And I'm so glad to have you along with me until next time. Have a good one.